today we want to uh, begin a series on discipleship. And we're going to be taking this from the book of Colossians. So I invite you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to read the <clears throat> verses beginning at verse 3 through verse 8. Will you please stand in honor of the Word of God? We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, that you have already heard about the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, the, this gospel is producing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all of its truth. You learned it from Epiphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Uh, Paul is <clears throat> so thankful for what God is doing in the lives of the people at Colossae and he sees the growth that is happening in their lives. And these opening verses, he takes time to affirm <clears throat> what are the evidences of being uh, a Christ follower who has made a full, authentic profession of faith. And so I pray that this morning the Holy Spirit will move in all of our hearts and that we would be men and women that are genuinely uh, born from above and then embark on a lifetime of obedience to Jesus. Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for the body of Christ here. What a joy. Look out and see so many faces here today, many new friends, those that are faithful in so many areas of service in the church and Lord, as we begin this new year, we want to begin it with a fresh resolve to be all in for Jesus, to give him our full allegiance and to uh, not remain stuck in any way. Help us, Lord, to have a faith that is growing and vital and productive for the kingdom. Speak to each of our hearts, Lord. Draw us close to you. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> As I've just stated, we want to begin a six-part series over the next number of weeks on discipleship. I believe that discipleship is God's chosen means of growing his church. After we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we need to be all in for him. He needs to rule and reign as king in our lives. And when Jesus Christ becomes our number one passion, there will be something about our lives that others will observe. And when they see the reality of Jesus in us, they will be drawn to him. Jesus put it this way. He said, <clears throat> When Christ is lifted up, all men are drawn to him. And I believe as Christ followers, as 
genuine, born from above believers. It's God's desire that we live our lives in such a way that others are drawn to him. And that's a process. Now, authentic discipleship is a missing ingredient in many evangelical churches. David Watson has written an interesting book entitled Call, Called and Committed, World-Changing Discipleship. He writes this way, quote, Christians in the West have largely neglected what it means to be disciples of Christ. The vast majority of Western churches, church members, pew fillers, hymn singers, sermon tasters, Bible readers, even born-again believers, or spirit-filled charismatics are not true disciples of Jesus. If we were willing to become disciples, the church in the West would be transformed and the impact on society would be staggering. And this is no idle claim. In the first century, a tiny handful of inexperienced, timid disciples initiated in the power of the Spirit the greatest spiritual revolution the world has ever known. And within three centuries, even the mighty Roman Empire yielded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a lot to learn when it comes to this matter of discipleship. Discipleship is not a program, it is a process. It is not a curriculum, it is a lifestyle. It's something that consumes our entire being, and we're all about growing and developing more and more like Jesus. Discipleship is not some spiritual plateau we enjoy, but it is a relentless pursuit after Christ. Discipleship is easy to talk about, but it will cost us everything if we put it into practice. Discipleship is something that alters everything that we do in life. It's one thing to accept the Christ of the cross, that's salvation, that's something that is free. But it's quite another thing to shoulder the cross of Christ, and that's discipleship, and that will cost us everything. Now, discipleship is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. True disciples are consumed with knowing about Christ, loving Christ, believing Christ, being committed to him. And for the Christ-controlled, Christ-follower, discipleship is an open door to ministry effectiveness and service. It's not reserved for the spiritual elite, but it is rather the will of God for every one of us who by faith have put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we jump into the text this morning, I want to take a few minutes and unpack uh, the title of this series, Daring to Be Authentic Disciples. First of all, I want you to think about that word daring. During these next several weeks, I want to encourage us to be all that we can be for the glory of God. This means that each of us must take a good hard look at where we are in our relationship with Jesus Christ. The ancient philosopher Socrates put it this way, the unexamined life is not worth living. So we need to take a good hard look. Where are we on 
our journey toward Christ's likeness. Number two, the words to be. We are all people in process. God is not done with any of us yet. None of us have arrived spiritually. All of us have much growing to do. We can never get to the point where we coast in our spiritual lives. The minute we start coasting is when the enemy then has access and can distract us and uh, cause us to lose our passion and our desire for Christ. We have a lot to learn if we're to resemble Jesus. That's what he wants us to do. That's what a fully devoted disciple does. He resembles the Lord Jesus. And the challenge before us as the body of Christ is to stretch toward Christ-likeness. You're going to hear us talk more and more about this. We are on a journey toward Christ-likeness. This is what discipleship is at the very core of its being. The word authentic means to be real, believable, and genuine. Christ isn't interested in caretakers today. He's interested in people that want to make a difference for the kingdom. And the word authentic simply means that we want to be people who don't just go through life in a happy existence, but we go through life with a sense of purpose. We want to do something that's going to contribute to the kingdom of God. And then finally, the word disciples. A disciple is a lifelong learner. A disciple is someone who comes under the yoke of Christ and learns and continues to learn and there never gets to be a moment in our life where we cease learning to be more like Jesus because when that takes place, we die spiritually. We need to be growing, loving uh, learners until Jesus comes for us. And as we sit at the feet of Jesus, he teaches us, he develops his character within us And he equips us to impact our world. Now, the Apostle Paul here in the book of Colossians paints a detailed portrait of an authentic disciple. And as he contrasts authentic Christianity with the deceptive religious system known as Gnosticism, he outlines the characteristics of those who are genuine, believable, and authentic. And he begins by speaking about a genuine disciple's profession. That is, his profession of faith, which is the beginning point. For ever to enter the journey, there has to be a beginning point, and that beginning point, the starting point in our Christian life, is when we've embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's the beginning point. But then, from that point on, we must continue to have a desire to grow and develop and to be more like Jesus. And as Paul finds himself here thinking about the church at Colossae, he's praying for them. And one of the things you'll notice here in verses 3 and 4, he is thankful for the transforming work of grace in their lives. Notice, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith. Whenever he prays for the body of Christ, he is so thankful for what God is doing in the lives of the people at Colossae. His prayer is for them. 
And as he sees how they are changing, how they are becoming more and more like Jesus, there is a a greater gratitude that wells up within him for the body of Christ. Jesus is the only one who is powerful enough to change the course of our lives. Paul speaks about this in Romans 1.16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. That word power can also be translated, it is the medicine for a sick world. Our world today is in deep trouble. Our culture has not evolved, it has devolved. And our culture desperately needs authentic Christians who are convinced that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and they are living in such a way that they direct the attention of others, not to themselves, but always to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul here is pointing us to Jesus, and in these opening verses, he highlights four ingredients of an authentic profession of faith. Now, there is a world of difference between being religious and having a personal relationship with Christ. Religion is not a relationship. Religion is cold, it's sterile, it's lifeless. Paul's commitment and his desire is that people don't just be religious, but they have a growing dynamic, ongoing relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he outlines the ingredients of what that looks like here, beginning at verse 4. First of all, he says, if we've made a prof- an authentic profession of faith, our lives will evidence a progressive faith. Notice verse 4. He says, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to put a circle around that little word in because that's the key to opening up this particular passage. Now, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we're not saved by our works, we're saved because of the grace of God and because of what Christ has done for us at the cross. But we must put our faith to work. We must do exploits for the kingdom. And he's thankful here for the fact that the uh, Colossians have started in the Christian life, but even more important, he is thankful that they are progressing, that they are growing that they haven't gotten stuck. And it's very interesting, he compliments them, notice, for their faith in Christ. That little preposition opens up the meaning of this particular passage. It's a unique word. It's a word that speaks to the fact that they are in a relationship. They're in a growing relationship. This word in is completely different from the word in in John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but shall have everlasting life. In that sense, that little word in means into 
Whoever believes into him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But here in Colossians, he commends the new believers not for their initial faith into Christ, but for their faith in Christ. This speaks of a progression. They have entered into a relationship where they have settled down to stay in Christ, and they are growing in him. He commends them for the fact that their faith is not stagnant. It is progressing. It is growing. Somebody has put it this way. If your Christianity is not contagious, it's contaminated. The faith that the Colossians have placed in Christ is now affecting every area of their lives. It affects the decisions they make, the priorities they hold, their home life, their business associations, their involvement in the church. Everything takes on a new dimension because of their faith, their progressive faith in Christ. It is not something that is sterile and stuck. It is something that is growing and progressing. And it speaks of the fact that their loyalty is to one person, and that is to Jesus. And more than anything else, people need to see that Jesus is the priority of our lives as a growing disciple. Now, number two, not only does he point to the fact that when we make a powerful profession of faith, not only will it be evidenced by a a progressive faith, it will be evidenced by, notice in verse 4, also a powerful love. Notice, and of the love you have for all, put a circle around the word all, the saints. Notice the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up in you. They not only are commended because they have a growing faith, but they have a a growing sense of love. You see, the Bible teaches us that God so loved the world. He loves to the point that he gives. And Christ-like love is always self-giving. It is also self-sacrificing. It puts the interest of others above our own interests. It's the love which the Holy Spirit sheds in abroad in our lives when by faith we receive Christ. The Bible says that when we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit inundates us with the love of Christ. He sheds abroad his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that encourages us to live this life of loving others as we have been loved by God. And so this love that the Colossians have for one another uh, is conveyed uh, back to Paul by Epaphras. Notice in verses uh, 7 and eight, he says, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, who also told us of your love. In other words, this is a group of people that are known by their love, and everyone is talking about this church that loves each other. They don't talk about the church as having issues with each other. They, they, they are progressing in their faith, and they are growing in their love, and people are talking about the way in which this body just loves each other and, and impacts everyone that they touch. Uh, William Barclay describes Christian love this way. He says, the Christian love is a spirit which says, no matter what any man does to me, I will never seek to do him harm. I will never set out for revenge. I will always seek nothing but his highest good. My friends, 
That is what Christian love is also always about. But the reverse is also true. A lack of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is evidence of a defective discipleship. If we are not progressing in the faith, if we are not loving as we have been loved by God, then then there's something wrong. Uh, There's something wrong with our discipleship. It conveys a faith that's only superficial, never penetrated the deepest recesses of our hearts. Authentic discipleship is characterized by loving others the way we have been loved by God. And that is sometimes very difficult. But that's the model we are to follow, and that's the goal that we are to pursue. Indeed, there's no greater proof of authentic discipleship than a love toward all the saints. Notice, not just those that we feel comfortable to be around, not just for those that agree with us, it's to be for all individuals, regardless of where they are. In fact, there's no greater proof of our discipleship than a love for one another. Jesus put it this way in John 13, 34 and 35, love each other as I have loved you so that you can be my disciples. All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The thing that characterized this church more than anything else, they weren't cliquish. They didn't develop, you know, special friendships where others were ignored. There's something about the body where there's this love where we, we just honor and we recognize and we value every person that's part of the body as being absolutely precious and valuable. That's why you never want to do anything that's going to hurt anyone for whom Christ died. You see, we're all sinners saved by grace. God has changed us from the inside out, and we are to love as he loved. That is a mark of an authentic profession of faith. We don't push each other aside. We love each other. I know that's hard, (laughs) but that's biblical. God doesn't always give us easy things to do. Sometimes he gives us hard things to do. And I've discovered that when I do the hard things, that's when my spiritual life begins to take off and I continue to grow and grow and become more and more like Jesus. And then a third evidence of an authentic profession of faith is a positive hope. Notice Verse 5, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up in you that you've already heard about the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Now, after you come to the end of verse 4, there's a lot of questions that we may have. Why should we as God's people be loyal to Christ? Why should Christ be central in everything that we do? Why should we work hard at developing authentic and lasting relationships with all of God's people? Why should we seek to serve one another? Why should we forgive each other? Why should we give ourselves unselfishly even though no one else takes notice? He answers those questions 
And it's all encompassed in this phrase, the faith and love, verse 5, that spring up from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven that you have already heard about, the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. That word, the verb stored up, is a perfect participle, which means it's stored up in the past, the effects of which are continuing. This hope that we have in Jesus Christ is a hope that we can experience right now. It's being stored up for us, and it's being reserved for us in heaven. You and I have all reasons to be the most hopeful people in the world because of what Christ has done for us. Uh, let, me, let me tell you, friends, this, this hope is, is something that's real. Uh, people who don't have a relationship to Jesus Christ, uh, they, they find themselves in hopeless situations. They find themselves in situations that, in which they can't cope. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we have been given this hope that is stored up for us. And it's something that we experience even now. In fact, we have a dual citizenship. Paul speaks about this in Philippians chapter 3, 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies that will be just like his glorious body. One of these days we're going to experience transformation. That hope will be realized will be transformed, will be made into the very likeness of Jesus. Peter reinforces this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into, notice, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power. He's taken care of us. He shields us with his power, and every day he's preparing us to receive this incredible inheritance, this great hope that is ours because of our personal relationship with the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> now notice the fourth evidence of an authentic profession of faith is in verse 6. It is a productive life. Notice he says, he says, all over the world this gospel is producing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you and circle these words. Notice the text. Since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all of its truth. Here's what is happening. God's people at Colossae, they have taken and placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says that they are taking that faith and they are feeding it. And so it is producing fruit and at the same time, it's growing. Very interesting. <clears throat> he takes dead aim here at the Gnostics, which claim to have all kinds of knowledge. But he says, we have the word of truth, which is the gospel. And the gospel is more than words, thank you. It's more than words, it is 
something that we can hang our life on. It is something that is transformative. And so he says here that, that in verse 6, he says that all over the world this gospel is producing fruit and growing. But this, is, this isn't anything new to you. This has been happening since the day you first believed. Can we say that? Can we say that our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ, that our lives are producing fruit from the moment we believed, and we're not only producing fruit, but we're growing more and more and more in love with Jesus. The Gnostics, you know, they gloated over the fact that they knew more than anyone else, but they did not believe that Jesus was God, They did not believe in his finished work on the cross was sufficient for salvation. According to their thinking, a person must place credence in their complicated system of human words and ideas. But Paul says all that goes away because our lives have not been translated by, uh, been transformed not by a bunch of words and ideas. Our lives have been transformed by the gospel. And the gospel of Christ is much more than humanistic philosophy. It's much more than happy thoughts and human wisdom. The gospel is truth that transforms. We are a gospel-proclaiming congregation. East Bay is committed to the gospel of Christ. And the gospel is not like corn, which after the corn bears some fruit, it dies even to its root but we are like a tree that bears fruit again and again and again, and it keeps on growing. Those fruit trees continue to grow and grow. The gospel not only has inner power, it has intensive power. It increases, it grows outwardly invisible. See, growth is the nature of the gospel. And if we're not growing, something's wrong with our faith. Something is wrong somewhere down the line because an evidence of an authentic prof- uh, profession of faith is that we are growing, we are developing more like Jesus. And so he says, from the moment these folks believed, they embraced the gospel, there was spiritual development in their lives. And the question we need to ask ourselves this morning, is that true of us? Are we growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Has anything changed since we first believed? Is our love for others deeper? Is our commitment to reach the lost greater? Is our desire for Bible study greater? than when we first believed? Or have we found ourselves in some kind of a coast and we just hope we're going to tumble into heaven someday? See, God wants us to be growing, maturing disciples of Jesus. If there's been a genuine transformation in our lives, we will be on a discipleship journey. If we're not on this journey, maybe the problem isn't the gospel. The problem is us. Maybe there's unconfessed sin in our lives. 
Maybe we have feelings toward others in the body that we should not be having. And we're isolating from others that need us. Maybe there's disobedience on our part to the leading of the Holy Spirit. But my friends, if we have responded to the gospel of grace and we've been genuinely transformed from within, there will be a desire that grows greater and deeper with every passing day to be more like Jesus in our attitudes, in our actions, in our relationships. We will seek to be the aroma of Christ. That's what he's looking for in 2024 from every single one of us. That we live out this authentic profession by going deeper and deeper into the love of God, being more and more under the authority of his word. It's amazing to me how much truth most people know in this book, but they haven't put themselves under the authority of this book. They think they know better than God. They don't make the hard decisions. And what happens is they get into a spiritual coast. And that spiritual coast is not a happy time. God didn't call us to be coasting Christians. He calls us to be fully devoted followers of the King. We need to be all in for King Jesus. Stand together, shall we please, for prayer. Father in heaven, we love you this morning. We want to be all in for you. We don't want to allow 2024 to be a repeat of 2023. We don't want to allow the disappointments and the distractions of the past to keep us from following more closely to you, being true Christ followers, whose one and only passion is to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, to be authentic and real and believable in a world today that has lost hope. We can bring hope. We can bring joy and peace and we can present the hope of heaven and we can experience this wonderful life of growing and becoming more and more like you so that others hear the gospel as they see it in our lives. So Lord, this morning we just say, we surrender to you. We want to be all in for King Jesus. That's your desire to be all in for him in 24. We just lift up your hand. Just lift it up. That's your desire. That's what God calls us to be. He wants us to be all in for the king. Father, there's enough firepower here to transform Grand Traverse County. 
If you could take 12 disciples and they could change the world, look at what can happen when we as your people are all in for you to transform this city and the surrounding region with the gospel of Christ. We're all in, Lord. We put a stake in the ground and we're not turning back. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Before you leave, don't forget the Helping Hands offering for those in our community that have need. There's a little box out here in the foyer for that gift. Have a great day in Jesus. He's coming again. Have a great day. God bless you.